The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome, welcome to, to the, the Legendarium. Everybody looks at you as the symbol of hope. Except for that year when we told everybody that you were crazy and made life miserable <laughs> for you. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. We are in studio with the ladies of the Legendarium. I'm excited to be here with Megan. Um, just to get some house cleaning stuff out of the way. We are The Legendarium. You can find us at thelegendarium.com. Please join our conversations on Discord. We all love following what our listeners have to say. Tag us if you have something specific you want to say to us individually. And we are fairly good about responding mm -hmm. in a semi-timely manner. Um, you can support us through Patreon. And you can listen to our podcast wherever you happen to find your podcasts. And it's free! Yes. So... If you can't tell, it's me and Megan, and we are back. We have three more books of Harry Potter to discuss. Uh, and again, so much. we have not told anyone other than Ryan, who helped set this all up, yeah. that we are recording. So another brand new episode surprise. I hope everyone's excited. You all seem to really enjoy our last episode we recorded. Now we're going to do a little bit more. We're recording so you can see our beautiful faces because we are the better half looking third, fourth, a fourth. I don't know. How many of us are there? Seven. So we're we're two fifths of the good looking people. We're, we're the, with the good two fifths of the, the top here. <laughs> Whatever that means. I even put on lipstick, y'all. I'm, I'm really, I dressed up. <laughs> you who are just listening to the podcast, I... I may or may not be wearing my Slytherin tie and sweater. I am, actually. I, I don't know why I said may or may not be. I am. And also, my snake earrings. And her snake earrings. That I bought with Stephanie at... Um, Jordan Con. Jordan Con. Because Megan is definitely a Slytherin. Yeah, I give off Hufflepuff vibes, but I'm a Slytherin. We I think we discussed this last yeah. episode that you yeah. definitely are a Slytherin. Yeah. Cunning, devious... Loyal, ambitious. Yes, it's all Megan. <laughs> it comes out in other ways, y'all. Okay, so we have the final three books mm -hmm. in the Harry Potter series, mm -hmm. which... Do you want me to do a briefish recap? <laughs> sure, can we do we a We know my recaps are not short. <laughs> These are only the three longest books of the series. It's so true. So go ahead and attempt a, a I, brief I'm just going to do a brief-ish ish overview. We'll see how this goes. I haven't practiced any of it. Did I take any notes? No. I've read these books at least seven times each. It's fine. Uh, we pick up at the beginning of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, where Voldemort has returned. And Harry immediately told Dumbledore, and Dumbledore got together his um, Order of the Phoenix, like the people that he trusts to help build up a resistance against Voldemort. Meanwhile, the rest of the wizarding world doesn't want to believe that he who must not be named, except we're going to call him Voldemort because that's his name, um, has returned. <laughs> and so they start vilifying Harry in the press and telling everybody that he's crazy and he's dangerous and he's a menace. And the ministry, since nobody wants to take on the defense against the dark arts job, teaching job, 
hires the worst person in the world, Dolores Umbridge, to be Harry's teacher. And <laughs> she's an understatement. Like Harry's already having a hard time, but it just makes it more miserable. And even more miserable is the fact that he is now 15 and in the midst of puberty. And it's oh. just, I'm so tired of yelling, Harry. I can't, I can't read that book anymore. I have to listen to it on audio because no. it's just ugh, the worst. So meanwhile, by the end of the book, um, everybody knows that Voldemort is back. He has revealed himself in the Ministry of Magic. And everybody knows. So in the sixth book, everybody, oh, and Dolores Umbridge gets hers. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I hate her so much. So in the sixth book, uh, everybody knows Voldemort's back. The world is getting gloomy and hard because Voldemort is just like, okay, well, you know I'm back. So I'm going to make the world terrible and destroy this bridge. And now the giants are out and about. Um, in the sixth book, that's actually one of my favorites because I love that it's like, this all of this random teenage angst with like Harry wanting to date Ginny and he's like Ron is being all awkward with Lavender Brown and Hermione is very jealous and just all of this going on and then you have this very major like shift in the last five chapters of the book where he and Dumbledore go looking for a horcrux um which is a part of Voldemort's soul that keeps him more or less immortal I'm not doing a great job doing this recap, and I don't care. You're doing fantastic. Oh, You're thank doing you way so better much. than I would be. Um, but at the end of this, they go back to Hogwarts and find that Draco Malfoy has broken the Death Eaters into Hogwarts Castle, and Severus Snape kills Dumbledore, and uh, all of the Death Eaters get away. Fast forward to number seven. So Harry decides that he can't go back to school because he has to go searching for all of the Horcruxes so that they can destroy the Horcruxes and finally just kill Voldemort for good. Um, and so book seven, the Deathly Hallows, is all about Harry's journey to try to find these Horcruxes. And once he has destroyed all of them, um, they can have a big old battle, battle at Hogwarts and destroy the school, but also kill off Voldemort and arrest the bad guys and good people win and life continues and all is well. That the really end. is probably one of the shortest recaps for those three books. Thank I think you. anyone could Thanks. successfully manage. Yeah. There's so many details I left out, but you know. But that was really the gist of it. I think we could be done, right? Yeah. Thanks, what, everybody. What more is there to talk this about? This great. <laughs> Thanks for letting me talk about Harry Potter. <laughs> okay, so we might as well get started with book five. Okay. Um, so I forgot how much I don't like book five. It's the worst. Ugh. I actually really like the movie because I feel like they distill it down to, you know, these are the good parts of the book. Introduce Luna Lovegood. Oh, there are so many fun characters. I think. know. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of fun stuff that happens in book five and Harry Potter has to ruin it. So if we can just take Ugh. him out of book five, it would be so much better because yeah. he is whiny and arrogant and like he's just mean to everyone. And I get that he's having a rough time. I know. I want to be so empathetic, but I just. But uh, at a certain point, you're just kind of like, get over yourself. Yeah. It makes me so happy that there are a couple of times that Hermione just says, um, Ron and I would really like it if you would stop venting your spleen at us. <laughs> like we are on your side, by the way. So maybe be nicer to us because you need us and we love you. And it's hard. I've been there. Where you've had that friend that's constantly down just because they're going through, through some rough stuff and you're trying to be a good friend. But you're like, I don't know how much I mentally can handle you. 
Yeah. And that's how I started feeling about Harry. I'm like, I want to be, I want to finish this book and I want to be like, yay, and you do good things. Mm-hmm. But Harry, I'm, I'm done with you. I feel like this is one of those things, though, I, I know it's not just teenagers, but I talk to my friends who are like, I keep hearing about how my child is just this wonderful model student at school, and then he comes home and he's just so awful to me. <laughs> and I guess I should take it as a compliment because that means that he feels safe with me and comfortable to be able to be like his true self and be able to process, process these feelings with me. But also, it would be nice if he were nice more often. Like, have you heard that I've heard about this? Yeah. Like it's. Uh, I have a seven year old and he hasn't yeah. gotten there yet. Yeah. And you talking about it kind of makes me him not I'm want so to grow up. <laughs> <laughs> now you can be. Maybe that won't happen. I'm I feel like, like oh. I was a model child. So that never happened with me and my mom, <laughs> to my recollection. Um. Yeah. But I, I think about it. And poor Harry is just told over and over again, like, be under the radar with Dolores Umbridge and you're not allowed to like be awful to everybody when you're out in public because he keeps getting these detentions and it's just putting more pressure on him and the rest of the Order of the Phoenix is like the world already thinks you're crazy you have to dial it down and so there is nobody else for him to vent his crazy on except for his friends yeah but oh my gosh poor Ron and Hermione are just like (laughs) we can't do anything we're trying so hard well I think it's mostly just for me with Harry, I'm like, at what point do you just need to suck up and deal with it? Yeah. That's kind of how I was starting to feel. I'm like, yeah. your life right now, though you have some crap to deal with, mm-hmm. isn't that bad. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry at 15, the adults aren't telling you every little thing that they're going to do. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Yeah. And it it sucks, but we all have been teenagers, right? Mm -hmm. At some point, Mm -hmm. adults don't tell you everything, and it sucks Mm -hmm. because you want to be an adult, but you're not quite an adult. Like, yeah. I mean, it's nice that he ends up um, teaching the Dumbledore's army. Like, he has that to work because most of the time he would just kind of, he, the way that he would probably deal with those kind of things and like, take the stress off would be flying and playing Quidditch but even that's taken away from him yeah it's like he doesn't have that it's like oh okay I can teach the DA I guess that's the one thing I can do um and I think that does kind of help him find a little bit more of a purpose and be like okay I'm still doing something even though I have to be here at school and I'm not helping anyone and I'm not doing anyone and nobody's making an extra effort even though I'm the worst to be around right now um (laughs) Yeah, but I, I think that's just such a cool idea that Hermione has to be like, you know, Harry, you'd actually be a really good teacher. Like, you know how to do these things. Yeah. You faced Voldemort. Who better to teach us how to duel and face him <laughs> than you? Which, it always makes me laugh when I think about how um, it was Gilderoy Lockhart that taught Harry how to duel. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I mean, that wasn't the most effective lesson, but he, he Harry learned one spell and he learned it really, really well. well. <laughs> So we have, since you brought up Dumbledore's army, Mm -hmm. we have some new characters that are kind of introduced or at least become a bigger part of the book series, Mm -hmm. like Luna. Yes. Who doesn't love Luna, right? It's impossible not to love her. I adore her. She is so quirky and so crazy and just living her own life. Yeah. And I love Luna. She's one of my favorites. I think she's just... Anytime she speaks, like, is it in this book? 
the other book that she does the commentary for the Quidditch game. I think it is in the sixth book. It's in, yeah, it's either the fifth or the sixth book. And now that I said it, I think it's in the sixth book. So sorry, we're jumping ahead. But like, just, she's so funny. Yeah. I'm like, who, who talks like you? Yeah. No one, no one talks like this. And it's wonderful because they all look at her like she's crazy, but she also gives them permission to be a little bit weird and to like loosen up a little bit more. And, oh, we're just going to. You know, my dad and I are just going to, again, we're jumping forward, but like in the seventh book when they're at the wedding and she's like, Harry doesn't actually want to talk to us right now. He's just too polite to say so. So <laughs> let's just go over here and dance. Like, it's fine. Because she she says kind of the uncomfortable things, but she doesn't necessarily say them in an uncomfortable way. Yeah. Um, and she does appreciate the cool things about everybody else and points them out. I think that's something that we need to hear a little bit more often where... You know, oh, you know, Ron says something. She's like, oh, my gosh, you're so funny. <laughs> and I think everybody else is just like, oh, Ron. And he doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah. Because nobody ever says that to him. He doesn't get that kind of positive feedback. Yeah. I just, she's, anytime she's on, like, in the books, I'm like, yeah. you're just, you just make me smile. You're one of those friends that you kind of listen to what they say and you smile at what they say because you don't necessarily believe what they're saying. Mm-hmm. But they're a good, they're an amazing friend to right. have around. They're a great person to be. They're supportive. They're loyal. And so. Yeah, and they love her as she is. They never ask yeah. her to be anything else. So that's one thing that I thought that she's an interesting new mix to their group mm-hmm. as she becomes, especially towards the the second half, like when you get into six and seven. Yeah. Because she's one of the few still at Hogwarts with right. Neville at the time and yeah. what they manage to do at Hogwarts while Harry's off being Harry and hunting's horcruxes yes so after everything I mean because when you think about we're just going to talk about Luna through the remainder of the books okay but when you think about some of the stuff that she went through when she gets kidnapped oh abducted or whatever like she's just kind of shoved into a corner like her poor father is frantic trying to manage to do who knows what and betrays Harry, which we can kind of all kind of forgive him for. Yeah. Because what else was he going to do? Right. But I think a lot of people forget exactly what she went through, mm-hmm. through the her entire storyline to still come out being willing to, to fight and to do good and her positive attitude, even when they're in the basement of whoever's house, they're in the, Malfoy's. the Malfoy's house with um, Ollivander. Yeah. So I just, she's just fun. Well, and even Ollivander says, you know, you. I mean, Ollivander's been in that basement for like a year and a half. Yeah, for And he tells Luna that you have just been such a light and such a comfort during this whole thing. And she's only been there a couple of weeks and they just really rely on each other. Well, she's only what, 14? By the end, she's 16? Yeah, because she's Ginny's, she's Ginny's age. So she's, she's 14 when we get introduced Mm -hmm. to her. So yeah, by book seven she's only 16 yeah it's it's crazy to think how much these kids like grow up in these last couple of books i've realized that a lot as i've listened to a lot of and read the these teenage kind of young adult series Mm -hmm. that are all based off of teenagers Mm -hmm. going oh i forget just how young you are yeah and some of the the character traits and stuff that you can kind of forgive a little bit because 
they are. They're only 16, 17-year-olds. We were all mm. stupid at 16 and 17. But you think and, you know so much. Yeah, like you, you understand so much about the world. <laughs> but there's just, there's a lot of these books, especially coming out, like we've been watching Wheel of Time on Amazon uh-huh. and some of that kind of stuff. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, these these are just kids mm-hmm. that have been forced to save the world. Mm-hmm. And like, so I can forgive some, some Harry not all, just some Harry of your issues that you have because you're kind of obnoxious to me. But let's be honest, though. Also, just this last comment about that. Harry has not had good behavior modeled to him. <laughs> it's very true. Growing up. <laughs> like anytime something bad happened to Dudley, like he only got 37 presents for his birthday. I'm sorry, 36. Uh, he had to throw a big fit about it. So what Harry knows is that if you're going through a rough time, you throw a big fit. And the people who love you, like Dudley's parents love Dudley, will just, you know, take it and that's fine and, you know, like do everything they can to fix it. And so. That is true. Okay. There's a thought. I'll, I'll consider. Uh, I'm not I'll saying that makes that. it any more manageable for the rest of us <laughs> who hopefully had decent modeling of how to go through a rough time and support. But. Sorry, we're just going to keep coming back and complain about Harry. Because we didn't talk about him at all in our last podcast. <laughs> we really so didn't. We're going to so, just complain about so him this we got time. To right? like, we didn't talk about Harry. We didn't talk about Voldemort. Huh. So now we'll just complain about Harry. Because yeah. he's just kind of unbearable. I mean, I love sarcastic Harry, but he's kind of... Un- the fifth book is just really hard to read. Yeah. He gets a little bit better in the se- like the next two, in six and seven. Yeah. I think by seven... It's not so much his poor me attitude that it gets, it just gets rough hearing like everything he's going through Yeah. by book seven and he's, he's frustrated and he's angry Mm -hmm. and his mentors and these people that he has loved and have supported him are dying. Yeah. And I think he's, so it's a little bit easier to judge some of his attitudes like, there's that big, massive blowout fight that he has with Ron, and Ron leaves while they're yeah. searching for the Horcruxes. And poor Hermione has, like, the boy that she's obviously in love with, but she knows deep down that Harry needs her more. Mm-hmm. And she stays by his side as, yeah. like, a loyal friend. And so I can kind of understand not knowing, like, all of these people are fighting and I'm doing this work and I don't know what's going on and I can't stop any of it. So I can kind of understand where his frustrations come yeah. by book seven. It's yeah. not quite as, oh my gosh, am I done? Like, is Harry done? Please give me something else to listen to other than Harry whining and his poor me attitude. So by book seven, he's still a little rough to listen to, but not yeah. a lot more understandable as to why. Right. And it's it's difficult because you know Harry is the one having uh, as far as we know he's the one having the hardest time but it's not like anybody else's lives are all that easy no like everybody's struggling everybody hates umbridge she's terrible to everyone and she's especially awful to harry because the ministry of magic is super anti-harry at this point but uh, like everybody is struggling like nobody's having an easy time during that year like to the point where the weasley twins are like peace out (laughs) mic drop we're gone here's some fireworks later oh Um, let's talk about umbridge who in my mind has to be the worst character 
ever created. Like the most hateful character? Yes. Yeah. I mean, she's not like, she's not written poorly. She's not a like a poorly written bad character. Oh, yeah, no. She's just evil incarnate. Yeah, and it's it's a terrifying thing that I think, well, I love talking to people and they're like, I think I hate Umbridge worse than Voldemort. Oh, yeah. Because she is the real life bully that probably everybody has had one in their life where they have this person that thinks that they are right all the time and everything they do is right and they just treat people like garbage for their own ends and it's just like but she's also so sickly sweet about it yes which is the worst part of it she's standing there in her pink little cardigan sweater and her cat plates and like smiling smiling as harry has blood dripping down his arm because she thinks that him carving i will not tell lies into his hand is because deep down he deserves it he knows that he deserves it oh gosh she she is the worst and she always makes me so mad which probably doesn't help book five at all either no it really doesn't because she is the fact that she comes back later and i love that harry's response is i'm sorry she's still working for the ministry oh no kidding i'm sorry what how was that a thing because she botched it all so royally. Oh, yeah. When she was at Hogwarts. I can't. I, yeah, she's one that I don't understand how she came back from that. Yeah. With everything that had happened, especially when at the very end when everyone agrees that Voldemort's back and everything. Mm-hmm. that Like, oh, well, you were the one that was saying he wasn't. You were the one making yeah. a big deal about this. You've taken over. You took over Hogwarts. You discredited Dumbledore. Like. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me, and that's it's a thing that irks me about human nature. Where she, um, they find out that Harry was correct, and oh, Voldemort is real. Voldemort's back. Nobody ever apologized to Harry. There's no like retraction in the Daily Prophet. They kind of like oh, and now we have this interview where they basically just steal Rita Skeeter's mm-hmm. interview about what happened that night, and nobody ever really talks to Harry about it. They're just like, you know, and this is something that he holds on to when he references again and i want to say that probably the last book where he's just like yeah you all decided that i was going to be like your mascot for everything's fine we're <laughs> handling it it's okay but nobody ever apologized to me nobody was ever like you're you're all just in it for what's in it for you you're not caring about me as a human being and looking for me to actually be useful and helpful well and even once fudge gets kicked out of mm-hmm. office and who was it um I don't remember what the guy's name is. Rufus Scrimgeour. Yes, I knew you'd remember what his name was that took over for the ministry. Even he wasn't like, he had no intention of apologizing. Or he's like, oh, well. Again, whatever they do is right. Come be with us because we need your support to tell everyone else it's okay. Everybody looks at you as this symbol of hope. Except for that year when we told everybody that you were crazy and made life (laughs) miserable for you. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so there is one thing. Um, we are talking so much about book five. We're going to spend this entire episode just talking about it's book five. It's a really long book. Um, but that I did enjoy and I loved. And I think it was some of the clarification that we get with Neville as a character. Yes. I adore Neville. I don't even really know why. I don't know if it's just like the movies that made it that I just think he's so cute. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just a cute kid. He's, like, 12 inches taller than me now, and I really shouldn't be calling him a kid. But 
I don't know what it's about him, but Neville, I I just love. He's yeah. just that, he's so lovable and he's so loyal. And he's that one character that you're like, how in the world are you not a Hufflepuff? Yeah. And he proves himself time and time again that he deserves to be in the Gryffindor house. Mm-hmm. No matter what anyone else says, like he hasn't had an easy childhood. We find out in book five where his parents actually are when um, Harry find, sees him in St. Mungus. Mm-hmm. So we find out that his parents are still alive, yeah. which I think was kind of sketchy to begin with. You right. kind of just assumed he's being raised by his grandma, that his parents were killed in the first wizarding war mm-hmm. or whatever it was, but they weren't. They were tortured by Bellatrix. Right. So I love hearing more about that from him. Mm-hmm. I think you get a little bit better feeling as to Neville's relationship with his grandmother. Yeah. Who never shows up in the movies at all. And so that was one thing, like, especially in this book, you find out about the prophecy, which is the whole reason they end up at the Department of Mysteries. Right. Well, it's the whole reason that Voldemort went after Harry's family in the first place. They're all trying to find out about this prophecy Mm -hmm. that at the time, Voldemort only got half of the prophecy Mm -hmm. that Trelawney had prophesied. Is that the right word? Prophesized? Prophesized. Sure. To Dumbledore. New words. Before Harry was born. Mm -hmm. And so they have this prophecy that Snape overheard, but only overheard part of it and went to go get Dumbledore. And Dumbledore then is like, oh, okay, well, it must be this Harry Potter kid. So I'm going to go after him and his family. And then we find out that it actually could have been either Harry or Neville. Right. Which I love. I was like, can I just have this alternate universe where Neville was the chosen one, like, what would that look like? What would that have done to Neville's life? Right. I mean, he still would Harry's life. He still would have been raised in the wizarding world. Mm-hmm. He had his grandmother. And I love the fact that Dumbledore points out that the whole reason that Voldemort chose Harry was the idea that he could see himself in Harry, that mm-hmm. Harry's the half-blood, mm-hmm. where Neville's the pure-blood, and... I don't know, there's, there's just so much about Neville's story that kind of comes to light. Yeah. That isn't necessarily Neville himself, but you just find out so much more about his past and where he's coming from. Maybe why he's the insecure kid that he is. But, of course, by the end of book seven, you have Neville, who is leading Dumbledore's army. I know. At Hogwarts, which is phenomenal like it's so funny when he's the one that comes out of the painting Mm -hmm. at Aberforth's house and he brings everyone back into Hogwarts and he's like look at what we're doing and he's like all bruised and bloody and everything's like we're fighting and I'm like he's the one causing all of the problems and he's the one constantly getting detention and doing all this stuff that well and even Seamus is like Neville really understands the room of requirement like how you have to say exactly what you need Mm -hmm. and it provides a Neville, like Neville is an underdog and he just really, he does, he comes into his own and it's not even just him. Like, And he's one of the people standing up to Voldemort in that final battle saying, you know, you are not winning. Like yeah. we are still loyal to Harry and even if Harry's dead, we're still going to fight in his name. Like we're going to fight for his cause. Well, and the fact that he's able to pull Gryffindor's sword out, he's mm-hmm. the one that kills Nagini at the very end that allows Harry to do all of the other stuff he needs to do in the final chapters of book seven. Like, I just love Neville and I, I loved too. hearing more about his prophecy and what 
what he was going through and that it could have been Neville. Mm -hmm. And now that's what I want. What what could have been? Right. There, what would have this been like? There was some speculation before, I want to say it was before the last book came out. Because um, I remember that time. I was an adult when the last book came out. And um, there was some speculation that maybe like Voldemort got it wrong and Neville was in fact the chosen one. But like Voldemort was so focused on Harry that he'd miss it and <laughs> Neville would take him out from behind kind of thing. Uh-huh. And that's not what ended up happening. But there were some people who were like, I kind of wish that is what would have happened because that was kind of a cooler concept. <laughs> well, and it kind of is what happened-ish. Because yeah. without Neville doing his part, Harry couldn't have done his part. Because mm-hmm. Harry never even got close enough to Nagini to take care of her. So True. Neville, it had to, Neville didn't even know really what he was doing at the time. He was just like, oh, snake, sword, death. Yeah. Well, I mean, Harry does say, like, you know, we need like, to take out the you know, snake. If you see it, you need to. He's like, and Neville just finishes the sentence. He's like, kill the snake. Got gotcha. It. Kid done. I'll do it. Yeah, right. sure. I'm, I'm cool like that now because I'm just going to go kill a snake. But Neville, like, he grew up in the wizarding world with his parents basically insane. He has seen the kind of damage that Voldemort can do and that there are worse things than death. Mm hmm. And I think that that gives him a lot of additional strength, especially when Voldemort comes back and he starts seeing it all happening again and he sees Bellatrix. Like, it's when Bellatrix is released from Azkaban that Neville really steps it up and is like, nope, she is not doing that to anyone else. Well, and they have a moment in the Department of Mysteries Mm -hmm. that they're they're dueling and Mm -hmm. she's mocking him because she finds out that he's a long bottom and she knows what she did. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I took care of your parents. I'm going to do the same thing to you and just mocks him about it and how angry and upset he gets during that. And so, yeah, I just, I don't know. I love Neville and I love his storyline. That's one of my favorite things about book five that I think kind of puts Neville on a higher pedestal is like he goes from secondary character that's just kind of there Mm -hmm. To more of a supporting role of someone that's important to this storyline that we need to hear from and we need to find out what they're yeah. doing. and A true they, ally. They really start driving the plot points forward through the, the end of the books. And I love Neville. I agree. Anyway. I, I just going to like, as much as I hate Harry in book five, Neville, let's gush on Neville. We can gush on Neville. He's a sweetheart. Well, we have Neville and Luna and it, it is nice to have these little bright spots of these... You know, Harry has these true friends that he doesn't even realize at the time how important they are going to be for him. Um, and also Ginny, because he always looked at, at Ginny as, you know, Ron's little sister. Yeah. Like, oh, here she is. She's not one of the people I would have chosen to take with me to the Ministry of Magic. But <laughs> again, she holds her own. Yeah. And she's 15 or 14. Yeah, in this book, she's 14. Yeah. And yeah, both her and Luna are 14. I mean, you can kind of understand why he'd be like, mm, you guys stay here. <laughs> uh, and at the same time, like, it turns out she's scrappy. She's the only girl, but, oh, she, like, she's a girl let's and she's see, young, She but... was raised around how many brothers? Well, and I just love that she says it out right at one point. She's like, you know, when you grow up with Fred and George as your brothers, you kind of <laughs> learn that anything's possible. So if you've got enough nerve, so. Yeah, I think she has to be scrappy or she wouldn't have survived her childhood at all no. with Six. Six. Six older brothers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, Percy. Aw. Can I tell you, though, I I think Percy's um, journey is so interesting through these last three books, and I 
cry every time I read book seven and they're in the room of requirement and all of a sudden he stumbles in and they have one very brief scene where the whole family is together. Yeah. Before they lose Fred. And Fred is the very first one who forgives um, Percy and says, you know, yeah, you are a ministry loving prat. Glad to have you back. (laughs) We missed you, bud. Um, and so the fact that he's the one that dies and Percy is just so – because Percy oh, lost Percy those three years with yeah. his family. Like he just – he I think out of everyone, especially in the book, you find out how hard that last battle was mm-hmm. for Percy. And I think it was a lot to do with his previous choices and yeah. how much he supported the ministry as much as they lied. And to the point, like, I mean, he wrote Ron saying, hey, you don't want to be friends with this kid because he's insane. Yeah. It's insane, so. and it'll go badly for you yeah. if you're at all ambitious, because you're a prefect now. Let's not go <laughs> the Fred and George route. Ugh, Percy. And he's another one where I think he just, he's doing the best he can with the information that he has, and I, I kind of wonder sometimes if he, you know, once they knew that Voldemort was back, if he was kind of like, I kind of want to go back home, but also I'm just not ready to have that conversation. Yeah, and he's one that, I don't know, I'm a youngest child. I'm the youngest of three. I have very much a lot of the traits mm-hmm. of a youngest child. Mm-hmm. And so I have a hard time putting myself in the shoes of someone like Percy, which when you think about um, Bill and Charlie Charlie, yeah. and what they did mm-hmm. in their times at Hogwarts, what they were going on to do with their lives, mm-hmm. how successful they were, how perfect they were, how loved they were. And here comes Percy which he's like, what What do I have? Yeah, I'm How, a middle child. I'm not doing anything new. Being yeah. a prefect isn't new. Being head boy isn't new because his brothers have already done it. Like, but he's the one that works for the Ministry of Magic. And like, he gets so, that job. To, be, to understand why he was pushing himself so hard to succeed mm-hmm. and try to do something that his older brothers hadn't done and his younger brothers probably won't. I mean, yeah, you're you're being followed up by Fred and George. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're gonna look successful no matter what you do, right? <laughs> according, especially Except Fred according and George to him. surprise everyone with like, it's like, oh, turns out we need a little laughter right now. Yeah, being like, of course, they're also like crazy business savvy and everything. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love Fred and George. It's hard not to. I know they're they're just again that. In such heavy books, you need that extra bit of laughter every once in a while. And I think she's um, Rowling's done a great job in adding those characters that come in and out of Harry's life to remind him that there are there are things to smile about. Yeah. Well, and it also helps. I mean, we all talk about the Weasleys like adopting Harry as family, but Fred and George really do treat Harry like they're his older brothers. They give Harry the Marauders map. Mm -hmm. Like they're just like, we can see that you need something here. Here you go. Let's, you can, let's all sleep in this room together, apparently, because we all, you know, <laughs> like, ah, just, um, again, it's just nice that Harry does have a lot of that support that he may or may not notice, mm-hmm. but, you know, he just, he gets that family and all these big brothers, and Percy is not like the warm, loving big brother, but Fred and George absolutely yeah. are. Are there any other, I guess we can keep talking about characters that have shown up, not necessarily in book five. Have we kind of talked about, I mean, the only thing we ever t- really talked about book five is Sirius. You learn a lot about yeah. Sirius in book five. And the black family. The black family. Um, we have Creature. Yeah. The, the house elf that gets introduced in book five. 
but it becomes um, important later. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of an important character to introduce, but he's just obnoxious through book five. It's true, but you, I kind of feel bad for Sirius, but he's again like I think he adds to that whininess of Harry because he's going through his own stuff, mm-hmm. but he's an adult, so you're like, suck it up. Yeah, I'm. Sorry. I don't mean to minimize your feelings, but but. Find something. Take up knitting. I don't know. <laughs> go, go do something productive. Yeah. Because this is your life right now. So, I don't know. He's one that I, again, he was in Azkaban for years upon years, mm-hmm. having hope and joy and life drained out of him. So, to end up back in a prison of some sort, of his own home that he right. hated. Right. That now he's stuck in this place that he tried so hard to escape from as a child. And it does legit sound like a miserable place. Oh, gosh. Every time you walk by this painting in the hallway, it starts screaming right? at you. <laughs> Ugh. And then you have a creature like wandering in in the middle of the night. No, Just thank you. <laughs> mumbling to himself. <laughs> but and then, of course, at the very end of book five, we have Sirius going through the veil after being hit by a curse Mm -hmm. from Bellatrix, who... Which I will go on record as saying, I think it's a really stupid death. It's so confusing. Like, no wonder Harry's like, no, he's not dead. He's He's just right there. Like, it's never really explained. I actually got onto the wiki fandom page for Harry Potter to look up what they claim the veil is, and it's exactly what it sounds like. Okay. That it's definitely pulled from, like, those religious connotations of the veil, the other side, the idea of an afterlife. And I was reading something about where Hermione is the one that's kind of like, let's stay away. That thing yeah. seems dangerous. That, I'm, we shouldn't go near that. And everyone else is drawn towards it. And in on the wiki page, it comments that... Out of all of them, Hermione is the one that it alludes doesn't believe in an afterlife. Oh, okay. So she would naturally not have the same draw to death and those on the other side as those like Neville and Luna and Harry and people that have all lost someone close to them Mm -hmm. that would want the idea of seeing them again. Right. So I thought that was kind of interesting that kind of put Hermione in that very scholastic kind of box of this is fact because this is what I can read and this is what I can prove and the afterlife doesn't fit into that so Hermione doesn't believe in it Mm -hmm. so I thought that was kind of interesting (laughs) I was like I just never yeah it fits Hermione's character but I never really I didn't read into that that way really thought about it so but anyway the veil that's what it is because they don't really explain it very well in the book it's just this archway falls into death yeah all right He's just there. He dies because people don't come back. Of course, the the department doesn't even know what it is. That's why it's in the Department of Mysteries in a locked room in the middle of like an empty locked room at that. that, So So they can study it. So they can sit there and listen. And it's just like, but what? I don't know. I don't know. Throw like balls into it. Experiments. I'm sure people have walked through that. Tie a bird to a string and let it fly (laughs) through. And I mean, how. Maybe I shouldn't think too much about this. <laughs> what experiments would we do on the veil? The, the to whole find the out? whole sequence with the departments of mysteries and they're running through all of these things, and I'm like, yeah, a walkie talkie. Really oh, maybe. 
where if I feel like I've seen that done before? I feel like we're <laughs> stepping into like, did you watch Supernatural? I did. Yeah. Like, you know, they'd like tie, tie themselves like to some rope and like go into the, and you're just like, oh, maybe I'm thinking of, oh, see, and now I'm thinking of all of the different situations, but I can't think of what it is. The one with the, oh, no. Oh, hey, never mind. Let's move on. It's I'm sure there's me, several. It's going to take me too long to remember what it is. But, anyway. but yeah, it sounds like something from Supernatural. Yeah. I don't know. The one with the character 11. Like the oh, that girl. Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Sounds like something from Stranger Things as well. Okay. Thank you. Now we can move on. Okay. So book um, five. Anything else exciting happen in book five? No, I just, uh, well, probably, but, oh, Harry's um, occlumency lessons with Snape. Ah, yes. Also hate those. They make me so upset. But you you do get a lot more insight into Severus Snape and who he is. And yes, and why how miserable he, his life was. Why he hates Harry. No, I mean, you, yeah. You find yeah, at the very end. Dad, why he hates Harry's dad so much. At the very end, you finally find when Harry's able to get into Snape's head. Mm-hmm. And you see that final, that memory with James and Sirius and Lupin and they're right. mocking Snape and Snape turns on them and it's it feels like that's the moment that Lily gave up on their friendship Mm -hmm. which then in turn obviously he would blame James yeah and and the fact that Harry looks so much like James would just be even just really twisting that knife I don't know Snape is one of those characters that even deep down I'm still feeling like was he really Dumbledore's man (laughs) um if Voldemort had killed Neville's parents instead of Harry's Snape would have been the most loyal Death Eater in the world. Yeah, but even then, I'm kind of surprised after they're not able to save Lily and James. Mm-hmm. Like, why when they can't save Lily, when Lily still dies, mm-hmm. why Snape stayed with Dumbledore? I think it's mostly the guilt. The guilt that it's his fault because he's the one that told Dumbledore about the, or he's the one that told Voldemort, Voldemort about the prophecy, and Voldemort interpreted that as Harry's parents. But the whole thing, like the when he went to Dumbledore to try and save them, and he was like, "I don't care what happens to James and Harry, just save Lily. Like, can you save her? Can you protect her?" And Dumbledore said, "We'll do our best." And mm-hmm. she still dies. I'm, I'm just still surprised that Snape. To be fair, Lily sacrifices herself because Voldemort does tell her, get out of the way. But I just want to kill it. And she like Snape makes the choice to stand already crazy. I know. He's not a nice person. He's Like he's not. very much like in his own head. Everyone's out to get him. Poor me. So the fact that he just, that he stayed that loyal to Dumbledore. Like, yeah. I mean, he's like crazy loyal to Dumbledore, which right. I don't think is warranted for his personality. I could see that. For me, like, that's just, he's one of those characters that even to the very end when he's dying and he gives Harry his memories and everything and you find out how much he truly loved Lily and you find out his Patronus and blah, 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 like, crazy obsession with Lily. Mm-hmm. Like, way yeah, it's beyond. not really love at that point. Not it's really, yeah, it's crazy obsession. Creepy. Like, he's still that one I'm like, but does... I, I don't know. Like, who is he really, who is he really helping? Yeah. I And I kind of wonder if at that point, like, Snape just feels like he's so far into it that he can't, 
not support Dumbledore anymore. Because if he just went like full Death Eater, well, at some point it would come out that he was Dumbledore's man and Voldemort would be like, hmm, can I trust you? Well, it almost feels like the easiest way out. Yeah. I'm going to be crazy loyal to both of them. And no matter who wins, I win. That's true. Because I'm literally crazy loyal to both Dumbledore of them. knew that he was loyal to Dumbledore. Dumbledore. And we all know that with his conversations with Bellatrix and everything that he's like Voldemort's number one man. Yeah, that's a surprising thing. So I'm like, I, you are playing both sides too well. And I don't know if you're really helping yeah. a whole lot. It's true. I don't know. He's just one. I don't know. What well, are well, your feelings about We even find out Snape? that like, when he does end up killing Dumbledore, like it was basically Dumbledore had asked him to. He kind of forced him into it. He really forces him into it because he do- Dumbledore doesn't want Draco to be the one yeah. to kill him because that would destroy Draco. And he's like, no, Draco still has a chance. Draco could still be a You're a lost cause. Being. So you do yeah. it. <laughs> Basically. And Snape totally calls him out on it. It's like, that's really mean. And Dumbledore's like, well, oh, well, <laughs> sorry. You chose your life. Like, I don't know. He's You're just, too far into it now. He's just, I think, that one character that I'm like, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? I think he's I, deliberately a great character. I don't know. Like, he's not really a hero. The fact that Harry names one of his kids after him, I'm still That's just like. That's weird to me. Why? Yeah. Not Hagrid, not Remus. My sister has a friend that named their their actual child, sport child. His name is Severus. <gasps> oh. Yep. Okay. So just know that's your line, Megan. Don't cross that line. Okay. Noted. <laughs> you can be of obsessed. all the names I can pick out in Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> just not, don't do that to your child. So I can't have twins and name them Severus and Dolores? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I wouldn't anyway. No. No, on so many levels. Okay. But yeah, my sister has yeah, a friend. Talk me down. Like interesting it's an interesting choice of all of the book characters in the entire world that he's the one that you chose i don't know if that's the kind of role model i want to be like this is who i named you after i really i really like the memes that are like harry dies and gets to the afterlife and remus and hagrid are both just standing there staring at him and he's like hey guys what's up something wrong remus he's like now you remember my name (laughs) okay great I know, like with anyone, there are like so many stronger role models in (laughs) Harry's life that would have been better to name his child after. But whatever. Sure. That's fine. Great. At least Luna, uh, Lily was named after, like his daughter Lily is Lily Luna. Yeah. Got one thing right. Who's the oldest? James. James. What's his middle name? I want to say serious. That's how I feel. I'm not positive, but I want to say. That's what I think. I think it might be serious. Yeah. I'd have to look that up. I would We're too. pretty close. Yeah. And I, then it's, it sounds right. isn't it, because it's Albus. Albus Severus. Severus, right? Yeah. And he's the one that ends up in, it's his story in The Cursed Child. Yes. Right? Okay. Yeah. I have not read The Cursed Child. But thank you to the internet, I went down that rabbit hole and know way more about the Cursed Child than I did beforehand. Well, and I'm sad because Cursed Child, been out, like, it's this, I've seen it. It was, it's stunning. Um, I personally don't think this, like, the script, I think is lacking because I think the villain is lame. But um, 
not to all say about that, but they, it was like two plays. It was four acts. So it was two full plays and they've now shortened it. So it's just like two acts of one play. And some of the things that I'm hearing that they change about it, I'm not thrilled about. But yeah, huh. Cursed Child focuses mostly on um, Alba Severus and his question, like, what if I end up in Slytherin? And that's like the first thing that happens is he does end up in Slytherin. And he becomes friends with Draco's son. Scorpius, who is my favorite. So if you want to continue on with your Harry Potter reading and haven't read The Cursed Child, I don't know, maybe find the original script. We have a script in our Harry Potter pile. I will say, though, and I'm not saying that it's akin to Shakespeare, but I feel like if you're going to read a play, you should read it out loud with other people or listen to it on tape or mm. something like that to get um, more of the feel of like the characters and yeah makes sense yeah like people complain about shakespeare and i'm like yeah because you have to sit and read it that's not it doesn't fun. read well no. no so cursed child it's a play it was on broad it started in the west end mm-hmm. in london it's on broadway i mean it closed a couple of days ago due to covid but it moved to broadway open. so it's still out and about but cursed child harry potter and the cursed child continuing the story it's wonderful fan fiction of well and it's all canon right it's all in my head it's fan fiction let's just tag that on again okay so we were at we were just talking about the cursed child which is nothing we didn't really have much to say about it except that's what it is it's there find out for yourself if you want to read it yeah but yeah alba severus just severus snape is just such a tricky problematic character where literally, like, he's always, until Harry decide, like, until Voldemort tells Harry in book five, like, no, actually, I trust Severus Snape. Like, he's part of the Order of the Phoenix, so you're just going to have to trust me on this. But in books one through four, so, like, anytime something goes wrong, Harry assumes that it's Snape. And after that, he assumes that it's Draco. And fun fact, he is correct. <laughs> and that's the, that, I think that's one of the most devastating things in the Order of the Phoenix is when... Because uh, that whole time Harry is like, there's something weird going on. Like he keeps going to the room of requirement and we don't know why. And we're not sure what's going on up there, but it can't be good. And then it turns out Draco lets in the Death Eaters mm-hmm. um, and ends up getting Dumbledore killed. And Ron and Hermione are both just devastated. Because this whole time they've been like, Draco's 16. There's, or, you know, he's 15. There's no, no, I'm thinking the sixth book. I jumped forward. Um... That's okay. We can talk about the sixth book. We can. Draco was one of those that I feel like you feel sorry for because he had no chance whatsoever. Yeah, he grew up so entitled. Well, and he already. Whoops. Sorry. Oh, I hit the repeat. Whatever. But Draco's one of those characters that you kind of just, I feel sorry for Mm -hmm. because he really does. He has no chance. He was raised by. Mega Death Eaters. Death Eater parents. Like, right-hand man of Voldemort. Voldemort's living in their house. Yeah, he's he's being raised. And, of course, like, he comes home from school and all of a sudden Voldemort's in his house for the summer. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you're here. You don't have a choice because your parents are in deep. So, Well, his dad at that point, like, Order of the Phoenix. Oh, no, never mind. So the, at, the end of, at the end of book five... It's his fault. It's Lucius's fault that right. the prophecy gets smashed and everything that but happens. But he's also in, yes. And so by then, he's kind of fallen from grace. Right. And he's no longer 
the head of the Death Eaters when Voldemort's not around. And he loses a lot of respect from a lot of people. He does. And it's, I love the way he, Jason Isaacs plays him in the films because he does such a good job of showing that, that change Mm -hmm. where like he's on top of the world. He's the most arrogant man you'll ever meet. And then he's just like broken and it's horrible. Like literally Voldemort takes his wand and breaks it in half. Yeah, and he loses. I mean, he loses a lot. He's kind of lost the his work at the ministry. Mm-hmm. He's now just at home, yeah, with Voldemort, being yeah. constantly. And reminded. everybody knows that he's that he's a terrible human. Yeah, being. like he doesn't even have his reputation anymore amongst the regular wizarding world. So I just to end up where Draco, and who knows whether Draco even wanted to i mean as much as draco complains about dumbledore throughout Mm -hmm. the early books Mm -hmm. i think it's one thing to say that draco enjoys his time at hogwarts yeah oh yeah he's enjoying being there slytherin common room is cool he's by book five he's a prefect he has his crazy power like lets that go to his head but it's there and he works under umbridge which yeah. yeah. But but he's like, you know, bunch of at least one girl is fawning all over him, so you know he's a cutie and he thinks the world of himself there. Yeah, so it's like one of those things and then to come home, spend the summer with Voldemort at your house, your parents are disgraced and all of a sudden you're like, "Hey, um you can get into Hogwarts, so this is now your job." Yeah, you're a death eater now. You have to kill Dumbledore. So, That's literally a job he's given to kill Dumbledore. You're 16. Here, you go kill a wizard I'm scared of. Yeah. Go. Have fun. You And if you don't do it, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. I mean, Voldemort so, really was intending for Draco to fail. but Yes, we family. all know that. But because his mother even, that's the whole point of the way that she sets up the unbreakable vow mm-hmm. with Snape that kind of snowballs all of Draco's storyline throughout the whole thing of yeah. Snape trying to help him but not help him because who knows what side snape's really on because you know like snape has to care about draco Mm -hmm. on i mean snape's been seeing him for the past three four years more than his own parents have so probably has some weird fatherly affection of some sort well and snape was probably a family friend even before then yeah they so but yeah, to be kind of thrown into all of this. And who knows if Draco was really, like, wanting to. Right. Did he want to be a Death Eater? I don't know. I don't know. He just didn't have a choice. It was just, whether yeah. it was an expectation that he grew up with, like, this is... Because that's probably the other thing is, I don't think his parents ever expected Voldemort to really come back. I'm sure they didn't. So, Draco, I doubt, even though he was raised with... The pure blood idealists' ideas, but yeah, well, in Draco, you just know that he was raised in this um, atmosphere of you're a pure a purebred, pure blood, so that makes you superior to everyone. Like you are amazeballs, you are the smartest, you are the handsomest, mm-hmm. you are the richest, you deserve every good thing. And he gets to school and like meets Harry Potter, the most famous wizard <laughs> of his age. And Harry immediately is like, mm, no, I don't want to be friends with you. And then Draco is like expecting to be the smartest one in school. And oh, it turns out a muggle is smart. Yeah. Like a muggle-born is smarter than he is. And like there's canon that Draco is always second in his class right behind Hermione. Except for Defense of the Dark Arts where it's Harry who's always at the top mm-hmm. of the class. But it's like Draco is always right up there and he's just like, 
I'm supposed to be this special kid. Like I'm supposed to, everything's supposed to come so easily to me and I'm, I'm supposed to leave this charmed life and you guys are messing it up for me. Yeah. So how am I going to fix that? Oh, Umbridge hates you? I'm going to be on Umbridge's side because <laughs> I hate you too. I don't know. I, I think Draco <laughs> is such an interesting character. Well, and then of course by the end you have, so you have him who's at school mm-hmm. in the seventh year, right? Does, doesn't he go back to Hogwarts? Yes, yes he does. Because he, he, I know that... He, there's kind of a question mark at one point. He's still at Hogwarts or he's... He's there because that's what, um, because he's there in the room of requirement when Harry's looking for the diadem. Yeah. With Crab and Goyle. Yeah. But at that point, like, I I feel like he goes home for spring break and just stays home. Because remember when they start evacuating the kids during. um, Yes. But right before then, they, Harry. No, it is a couple months beforehand. You're right. But um, when they go to rescue like Luna and Ollivander at the at Draco at Malfoy Manor, uh-huh. Draco Malfoy is there. But I think they do say that wasn't it's that like Christmas? Break. I think it's spring break. Do they have a spring break? I don't know, like Easter holiday or something. Draco goes. He's home for some reason. It's a school, but he goes break. back to the school. Yeah, no, I'm I think they do have an Easter holidays. So, maybe, like, Harry never was, went home for the Easter holidays. No, he rarely went home for any holidays. Yeah, so I'm, but maybe some people did because Draco, like, he loved his family. He was all in. Yeah, why wouldn't he go home? So it was for a holiday. But he's there. But no, you're right. He he is there at the end. He's there, and because Crab he and Goyle are really good at the terrible evil curses. They yay. They don't leave with the rest of the Slytherins because right. they basically tell all of the Slytherins to leave because no one trusts them, even though they would have been of age during the final battle and they stay, they sneak yeah. back or whatever, hide themselves so they can't, they don't leave Yeah, because they're the ones in the room of requirement that Harry ends up saving. And at the very end, when Harry supposedly dies and um, what's her name? Harry, Draco's mother. Narcissa. Yes. Sissy. Is that what Bellatrix calls her? Mm-hmm. Um, is the one that's supposed to, supposed to check to see if Harry's alive or not. Yes. And all she wants to know is if Draco is alive in the castle and mm-hmm. Harry acknowledges that he is. And she's like, yep, he's dead. Let's get to the castle. Which I thought was kind of fun and interesting. Yeah. Twist Lies to Voldemort's face. On her. Yeah, yeah. That, that in the end, she's not... Well, she was never technically actually a Death Eater. Like, her sister is, her husband is, she's around all of them, but she, like, doesn't have the mark on her arm. Ah. She's just, like, a trusted personality, I guess. She's just one of the pure bloods that is around. Right. I was in the room. With a lot of influence. I was in the room when it happened. Is that what? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Enjoy that comment if you know what it's from. Don't sing, Megan. Let's see. What else? I think um, Slughorn is another character we get introduced oh, we to. Talk about Slughorn. <laughs> he gets introduced in Ugh. book six mm-hmm. that he is the new potions teacher. The new old potions teacher. He comes back um, out of retirement. Which is crazy because you think about it and like Snape, I mean, Slughorn has been probably been retired for a while. Like at least seven years that we know mm-hmm. about. 
Um, and so for Dumbledore to be like, so you're ready to come back? I mean, it sounds like Slughorn taught for a good 50 years. Yeah. Um, but he's been retired for a while, so that is kind of a big ask, which is really cool. But he's really good at it. But it's interesting that it isn't until – I may be jumping around a little bit. But Slughorn We're jumping definitely, around a lot. Slughorn so. literally teaches by the book, which you'll notice later on that uh, – because Harry gets like this copy of the Half-Blood Prince's potions book, um, which helps him become a really good potions person, really good at potions. And then you find out that it was Snape. But when you uh, go back and look at the way Snape teaches, he didn't ever teach out of a book. He always had the recipes written on the board. Because hmm. he was better than, he was a better potions master than the whoever wrote the book was. Um but yeah, Slughorn is another one of those that you kind of feel like was introduced a little bit to be kind of a comedic character and another one of those really arrogant, kind of unlikable. And at the same time, you're like, but you're like a mildly unlikable person. Now you're going to hate me. I was like, if it's talking about like Slytherins, because oh, obviously because yeah, he's one of the good Slytherins. Yeah. yeah. He, I was oh, like, he totally is. He's like you. Oh, Okay. <laughs> I would like you to expound upon that. <laughs> As you just went off I'm about like, he's how he's so unlikable. And well, like, there are just certain things that he does that it's like it's so off-putting to Harry and the others. And they're like, okay. Well, he's definitely a very arrogant kind of person. I think it's funny that... <laughs> As a Slytherin, he is the type of person that wants to have greatness around him, mm -hmm. but is happy not being great himself. Right. Which is weird for a lot of people to think of. Right. That why, if you're if you're going to be great, you be great. Why but keep it around But he still gets the benefit you? of it. Like, I he still like, gets free tickets yeah, to the game. Yeah, I was like, why and... not make the most of your relationships amongst these great people? Yeah. I mean, sounds good to me. You can have the quiet lifestyle and still get to benefit from everyone else's hard work kind of yeah. thing. No, that is not you, Megan. <laughs> I, I, I was going to be like, but how is he like me? <laughs> Sorry. It's one of those things like, so by the very end, so we have book six that we are getting to know Slughorn and he's that he's a collector. Mm -hmm. He collects his students. Mm -hmm. He's big on um, Hermione. Oh, yeah. Which, as a, as a Slytherin, is kind of a big deal. I mean, like, he's surprised that a Muggleborn is so smart. But he, he still loved Lily. Like, okay. Yes. He loved Lily. And so he's still, he's not prejudiced in that way. Mm -hmm. He's smart enough to realize that greatness comes in all shapes and sizes. Right. That's true. So he's he's collecting these students. And I think it's kind of funny that after everything that happened with Draco, that Draco is... Draco expected to be one of those collected students, and he yeah. wasn't. Yeah. He's like, had to sneak in, sneak in. I don't know why I'm doing air quotes, air quotes, sneak in to one of the them. parties. <laughs> <laughs> but so anyway, I will continue my long explanation of why Megan is like Slughorn. But <laughs> it's a very long explanation to get I'm to my point. a combination of Slughorn and Luna and J I'm just kidding. But so you get through book six. So we find out that Slughorn is the one that... Um, taught Tom Riddle about the Horcruxes that started Voldemort on his murderous path to immortality, immortality and everything. And of course, by the time we figure all of this out, that Tom even left school, they figured he had already created one. Mm -hmm. I mean, he still had his diary there. And he was, I don't I mean, there's a lot of prophecies that through book six that are not prophecies from memories 
that we go through with Harry and Dumbledore. Learning about the Horcruxes. Learning learning about where they came from, what they had about a lot of where Voldemort came from right. and his background. And um, Slughorn is at the kind of the center of that. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why they invited Slughorn to begin with. Anyway, Slughorn then stays on for the next year. He becomes head of Slytherin mm-hmm. when Snape is now headmaster. And so he's head of Slytherin. But when the big battle comes, Slughorn's there. Yeah. When he fights his, for the right side. When his entire house has been basically kicked out because no one trusts him or whatever, like as a head of a household, he's still there. Mm-hmm. And he's part of the the teachers that battle Voldemort at the very end. And I just thought that was so interesting and also important mm-hmm. because obviously we can't have Snape as the only adult Slytherin we're we're looking right. at because as we've discussed he's terrible and we right. really don't know what where Well and at this point like it's been so drummed into our heads that Slytherins are evil Slytherins are evil Slytherins are the worst they're all death eaters Yeah so but to it's have nice to have that proof that that's not actually the case To have someone who who puts the school and the children mm-hmm. and the things that he's believes in and is willing to stand up and fight for those against the evil that he knows. And I think, I don't know, maybe part of it comes from that he knew Tom. He was his teacher. True. He was his mentor. He was his head of house. Mm-hmm. He knew him from the time he was an 11-year-old boy going through Hogwarts himself. And he probably has some, I mean, it's the reason why he adjusted his memory in the first place. Right. Is that he had a lot of guilt yeah. that one of his beloved students became something so horrific. And I think Slughorn might have had some of those ideals of that's not what a Slytherin was meant to be. Right. And I think Slughorn gives us a, a better idea of what what a Slytherin should be. Can they still be that yeah. idealist? Can they still be that, I don't want to say self-centered, self self what's the word i'm thinking of i don't know i don't know but self satisfying no that doesn't sound right i don't know anyway that's what i'm thinking of but i just think that he's then that's where i was thinking oh well that's where you fit in like if you were head of slytherin i can see that you're you still have that cunning and that ambition and that idea but in the end Slytherins are still insanely loyal right oh yeah oh 100% and Slughorn found that his loyalties lie with the school Mm -hmm. and with his students Mm -hmm. and that's my very long explanation this is why Megan and Slughorn are Slytherins thank you (laughs) does that sound better now that you went off (laughs) I'm just I I was like Slytherin's so unlikable you guys but no it's true I just felt so, I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't make my comment anymore because Megan just went off about how Do Slughorn's it. a terrible It's not person. that I don't like Slughorn. He's just, it's, he's kind of this really interesting character that kind of comes in the middle where you just keep learning that people are complicated. They're not yeah. one thing or the other. Um, and the, the more Harry grows, the more he keeps seeing these complexities in all of these people where he sees somebody like Slughorn and he's like, this guy is kind of an idiot. He's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> like my friend, like, you know, I keep duping him where he tells me to make this potion and I came up with a bezoar, like, and I still got all the points, you know, this guy must be such an idiot. And then he finds out like, oh, Slughorn has this memory. Oh, Slughorn is actually really good at dueling. Like, oh. Okay, there's a lot more to this guy that I didn't know or I didn't see. 
And again, that could be Harry being a 15, 16, 17 year old and kind of having a limited worldview and mm-hmm. not knowing that about people and not having really great examples as a, a lot of the adults anyway yeah. and especially for the Slytherins and it it just I just I so resent the fact because in the movie it's Ron that says it but in the book it's Hagrid that says there's not a witch or wizard who went bad who wasn't in Slytherin so everybody just kind of, just of assumes oh all of the Slytherins are bad guys except and maybe I said this in the last podcast but Gilderoy Lockhart was a Ravenclaw. Yeah. Um, Peter Pettigrew was a Gryffindor. Like, you can find examples of the positive and the negative everywhere. And even, like, if you want another positive example of a Slytherin, we have Regulus Black, who is Sirius's little brother, who figured out the Locket Horcrux and sacrificed himself to, you know, get the Horcrux out of Voldemort's hand. He wasn't able to destroy it. And I um, love that moment when you find that memory from, is it the memory from Creature? Mm-hmm. And you find out in book seven that it was that that Regulus was asked to do something that he felt uncomfortable with yeah. then as a Death Eater and decided this is not what I wanted. This is not what I signed up for right. and tried to back out mm-hmm. and was obviously not given the option to back right. out because no one just backs out of being a Death Eater. Well, he got dragged under by all of the creepy, creepy people in the lake. Well, then the so to find out that poor creature mm-hmm. has been dealing with this idea of leaving his master behind because he had to right. because as an elf he has to do what his master tells him to and so and creature is a hundred percent loyal to his family yeah and so it's one of those things like through especially through book five you kind of are like oh creature he's so annoying he's like he's terrible you kind of under like because of you, the Sirius dies. So to come and have that understanding where Harry finally, I don't know, lets Creature in. He finally accepts Creature. I don't know at what point, like, it, what really to call what Harry does with Creature. Yeah. And he gives him the necklace back. Mm-hmm. He gives him the fake necklace or whatever and says, hey, this was your master's. And Creature is like all of a sudden loyal to Harry because yeah. he... He did something that was important to Creature and treated him more than just this half not human whatever. I want to say Creature because that's his name. But Uh. (laughs) that a lot of the the wizarding world looks down upon. Right. And when you think about it, we're like, well, where would your wizarding world be without them? Um, Yeah, exactly. All of the wealthy families had house elves. Hogwarts has hundreds of them right. like so i just thought it was fun to to see more of creature mm-hmm. and to have harry actually make that mature step yeah and realizing that sirius made a mistake in the way he treated creature and harry wasn't going to repeat that mistake yeah and that in the end it actually benefited all of the wizarding yeah, community them in the long run so yeah Yay, creature. Yay, creature. Well, and take that one step. Like the whole the whole house elf um, storyline that starts in book four really pays off because you have Hermione and her, her whole, you know, society for the spew. protection of Elvis welfare. <laughs> Elvish welfare. Yeah, spew. Spew. Um, S-P-E-W. No, it's uh, spew. She has this whole thing throughout and she's always trying to be like, no, they want to be freed. And everybody's just like, no, but actually they really don't know what they would do. And it pays off like right at the end 
um, in the room of requirements where Ron's like, oh my gosh, where are the house elves? We have to get them out so that nobody can tell them to to fight for our side and get killed. And Hermione's like, that's it. You are you are mine. You're, you're the one. It's you and me Love forever now. And, and Harry is just like, is this really the proper moment? <laughs> <laughs> it's like this this wonderful accumulation, culmination of so many different storylines that pays off in such a beautiful, yeah. well-written way that I'm just like, there is no way that J.K. Rowling was making this up as she went along. Well, I'm like, sorry for doing. all of you haters out there that think that Harry and Hermione should have gotten together. No. You're wrong. You are wrong. Just just so you know. You've heard it here with the ladies of Legendarium. Yeah. You're you're just wrong. Ron and <laughs> Ron and Hermione. Ugh, they just make me so happy. Um And it is so much better in the book than it is in the movies. Their relationship makes no sense in the movies whatsoever. There's no there's no buildup in their relationship yeah. like it, there it's is. It's mostly based on chemistry, but it's so awkward. It, like in the books, you get just these small snippets of where you see how like Ron is jealous. And then you get to see Hermione being jealous, especially throughout Ron's relationship with Lavender. And right. like everything that happens when in these books, part- particularly, and when you get to the point of their final like they end up together mm-hmm. and like like okay like this is a huge payoff where in the movies it's it's a little crappy it's strange yeah it's it it's weird. weird how that works out speaking of strange and weird harry's relationship with jenny so much better in the books jenny is. is just a stronger character in the books she's, she's so really, much more interesting they give her so funny. much more time and development yeah in the books yeah which is it's one of those things there's going to be things cut in movies nothing's going to be you can't do I mean, we're doing it now, and I'm still not happy about everything, but we're, we're taking s- books and making TV series. Right. Which is like the new trend. Right. As opposed to taking books and turning them into movies. Right. And so you do, you are allowed to get a little bit more information, a little bit more character development in mm-hmm. a TV series that you don't get in a two and a half hour movie. Right. Or an extended version of like a four hour movie. I don't think they're that long. Anyway, so I think it's just one of those things that you get, that just get cut and you kind of miss. Well, and even having something as simple as like the way Harry breaks up with Ginny at the end of the Half-Blood Prince. And she's like, it's for some stupid noble reason, isn't it? And Harry's just like, yeah. But he just has kind of this thought process where he's like, I'm so grateful that she didn't cry and she didn't make a big deal about it and she wasn't traumatic. She was just like okay like it's one of the things that he liked about her that she was she was strong and he really didn't mature have to take for care her of her age. in that way oh yeah she totally was she's really mature for she's, her age she's definitely a youngest sibling who has like much older brothers well, i was gonna say brothers and sisters but you'll you'll see like i have a nephew who was five and his next his siblings who are next the closest in age to him are seven years older and this kid thinks he's 12 like he thinks he's <laughs> one of the 12 year olds and so he just grows up so much faster. And yeah. I think Jenny is kind of like that too, where she is so close like with Bill. She and Bill have this great relationship uh-huh. and stuff. And I think she she's a lot more mature because of because she is the youngest. Like you could say, oh, she's the baby of the family, but also like the baby of the family 
wants to be like all of the older brothers and sisters. You do things a lot earlier in life being the youngest than you do because the oldest always ends up having to do things with the youngest. Mm -hmm. And then the oldest, it finally gets to the point of, well, they're too old to continue doing things like this with the youngest sibling. Right. And so the youngest sibling then all of a sudden has to do it by themselves kind of thing. Like, yeah, yeah, I. so you end up doing things in life earlier because your older siblings grow out of it, not because you've grown into it. Exactly. Well, again, like Ginny, I I think it's fascinating because I'm like, oh, Ginny and Harry. But Ginny is her own character. Like, she does her own thing. Like, they're together not really very much in the books. Yes, he has a big crush on her after Not a as a real, a real relationship, no. Yeah, no, not really. Like she she develops on her own, and she has this huge crush on Harry for several years. And then she's like, well, nothing's coming to that. So I'm just going to go do my thing and date Michael Corner and date Dean Thomas. And, you know, that's going to go and live my life. And even after... Harry doesn't come back to Hogwarts for the final year, for his final year. Like you said before, she and Neville and Luna kind of form this yeah. core group of the Dumbledore's army in the school, and she becomes one of the leaders. Well, and it's a really dangerous place for her to be. Oh, yeah. I mean, as a Weasley alone. I don't think she goes back to Hogwarts after Christmas. No, she doesn't. Yeah. Um, she shows back up at the Room of Requirement when mm-hmm. the rest of the family does mm-hmm. for the final battle. Even though she's not supposed to fight. Yeah. But she's there. Yeah. Which, speaking of, since we're talking about Ginny and the Weasleys, okay. we're going to talk about my favorite moment ever, and it's when Molly attacks Bellatrix. Oh, my gosh. I think, yes, Molly. I think it is both brilliantly done in the books. Mm-hmm. It is one of my favorite scenes in all of the movies. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, it's one of those things like, it's, yes, this kick butt older actress, like, woman- and I can't remember the actress's name for the life of me, but she's so funny <laughs> in everything I've ever seen her in. Julie Walters. Thank it you. Took me a second. But I think she's phenomenal mm-hmm. as Mrs. Weasley. I think she's just the epitome as a brilliantly cast actress for the yes. character. But that book moment when she already is so frantic, so scared. She's already lost Fred. Mm-hmm. She's lost one child. Which had to have been heartbreaking in oh, yeah. and of itself. Even when she's looking her Patronuses and it's the dead twins, it was always that, like, she never considered the fact that they might be separated. She assumed that they would go. To and them. I think secretly that they might have been her favorites. I, I was one of those things, like, I could see her secretly just loving, not maybe like they're their favorites, but just having this, this special connection as their mother yeah. of. They, they are frustrating and they anger her, but at the same time, like, that they are funny. And she's going yeah. to be laughing about whatever they just did that she just yelled at them for. She's going to go to her room and she's going to be like, okay, that was well, hilarious. Well, she finds it so frustrating because they do have so much potential. And she's like, what are you doing? You're so much better than this. So I think, t- so for her to turn around and be the one, after Bellatrix has wreaked havoc on so many other people in these books, for it to be Molly Weasley to take her down when she goes to attack Ginny, I think is brilliant yeah. and perfect and a great moment for Molly, yeah. who is just that motherly character yeah, that kind of gets thrown to the side. At that's all she ever is. She like She cooks, she cleans, she takes care of everyone. That's what she's distilled down to. But she's a brilliant witch. Yeah. 
Nope. I, I I love I love Molly. And maybe it's a little bit of now my age is showing <laughs> being closer to that age than the 17-year-olds when I first read through these books because yeah. I was, let's see, I was in college when I think the last book came out. Okay. I was in college when the last <laughs> book came out. And so it was a lot easier to relate to the teenagers. Sure. Because of my age. Where now, being an adult, having a family, being in a very different place in my life, rereading them now, I can still really enjoy them. I still had fun with them mm-hmm. as much as they are a, a young adult written series. Mm-hmm. But it starts. You start thinking about some of the more adult characters and what they were going through, and you have like the side story you don't really hear much about, but between um, Lupin and Tonks and their relationship, right? And you get more of what um, Arthur and Molly went through raising their family, and so I start maybe like thinking, going, okay, as the adults in this story. <laughs> This is insane. Where are the adults in this story? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To allow these kids, I mean, so I can understand her frustrations through book, through books, especially five, when they're all at the black house. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to keep these kids as protected as possible. Mm -hmm. And she seems to be the only one who is. Right. Out of all of the adults that come through, I mean, you have Mad-Eye, you have Lupin, you have Tonks, you have Sirius that's there. She's really the the one true let's let's keep these kids as young as innocent as possible right. for as long as possible and so I don't know. Anyway, long long explanation of a point, but you know, that is an a, an interesting point though. Little kids are young people are always in such a hurry to grow up, not realizing how long they're going to be adults. You're really going to like once you get to that point I don't know what it means to be an adult for each individual person. For me, I think it was after I moved, like I finished college and I moved out of my house and paid my own rent and got my own insurance. And, you know, like it was at that point that I felt like I was an adult and I never really looked back and I didn't rely on my parents as much in that please take care of me physically kind of Mm -hmm. way. I still call all the time. I visit all the time. (laughs) They support me emotionally so well. But, um... I think that's something that Molly really knew, especially having been a young person in the first Wizarding World, Mm -hmm. Wizarding War, um, was that you only get to be a kid for so long. So you need to protect that for your kids as long as you can. Um, Because once things get real and you're a grown up, you have to deal, you have to be a grown up for the rest of your life. There's no going back. Um, And it's like, I think for Harry's, a lot of that. like that shift for him, he kind of becomes an adult after Cedric Diggory dies. And yeah. so those first four books are like these very fun, lighthearted, oh, I'm a wizard. What a crazy world. Oh, who's the bad guy this year? Oh, who's the bad guy? Like the first four books are kind of set up as mysteries. And then the last three books are a war story and this child fighting in a war and leading in a war and being somebody that people are looking up to and expecting him to have the answers and to know things. And he doesn't. And each, like every person that he relies on, he relies on Sirius and Sirius is killed. He relies on Dumbledore and Dumbledore is killed. And it really does get, and he's like, 
you know, he, he got, uh, in, um, order of the Phoenix, um, all of his mentors there are taken out, um, where he, he kind of gets to the point. He's like, there are no more members of the order left. And then he realizes too late that Severus Snape is one of like, he's like, Oh, I could have gone to that guy. <laughs> I don't like him, but I could have gone to him, you know? And so he really is forced to be an adult and he's forced to be on his own and you know people make fun of the deathly hallows as harry being camping but this is him the first time he's gone out in the world he doesn't have the structure he doesn't have a home to go back to he can't go to hogwarts there's nobody to cook and clean for him anymore he has to take care of all of that by himself or rely on one of his friends and we all know how that works out because poor hermione feels like she has to do all the work and ron like has especially been protected his whole life doesn't deal with that well well and ron has the added stress of his entire family is fighting this war uh-huh. and not knowing and not having any way to communicate with them poor ron has these divided loyalties because he's pledged himself to harry but he doesn't know what's going on at yeah. home. and so these poor kids are like forced to grow up and it's been it was an interesting conversation um this last so last year in 2020 when three months before the school year ended all of a sudden, like, uh, here in the States, I don't know exactly what it was like in other places in the world, but here in the States, kids were sent home and it was online learning for the last three months. And prom was canceled. Graduation was canceled. All of these things were canceled. And those kids didn't get the senior year or the end of the school year, whatever age they were, that they thought they were going to get, that everybody looks forward to. Mm-hmm. And man, that sucks. And I don't have kids I can't relate in the same way but I I had a conversation with a couple of my friends where they were lamenting about these things and they're Harry Potter fans so it was appropriate that I said this <laughs> otherwise it would just would have been like Megan you don't even know I don't um but a similar thing happened to Harry Ron and Hermione where they they were supposed to go back for their seventh year and take their newts and you know have like these amazing experiences their senior year and Hermione would have been head girl Mm -hmm. and maybe Ron would have been head boy and achieved that dream that he'd had since the first book and um you know gone and played Quidditch and had just this amazing experience but instead they had to camp in the freezing cold and have warding spells every night and change where they were living every night because they weren't safe because they had to save the world like that was literally the job that was given to them they weren't kids anymore and so i like you said i can totally understand molly wanting to protect those kids and maybe she was the only one who did want that but she knew like once you're an adult you're an adult and you can't go back and uh it is canon that hermione does go back and finishes her seventh (laughs) year later but you know the rest of them, they're just like, no, we're all. Well, and I think about those kids who are at Hogwarts, like Neville, who's at Hogwarts for his seventh year. And Snape is the headmaster and the Caros are the yeah. teachers. And all of the kids are, te- are are learning to torture each other and get points for it. And it's just like the most miserable experience. Yeah. And it's just so awful when you have this hope and this expectation of what your life is going to be. And then it goes so sideways and you have no control. But it's, I would imagine it would be even worse if the responsibility for fixing it was put on you and you're 17. Yeah. I wouldn't have been strong enough. I was a pretty overtraumatic 17-year-old. Oh, I absolutely was. You were talking about, (laughs) I I think it was before we started recording, but you were talking about what you were like as an 11-year-old. I cried a lot. (laughs) 
a lot to the point where it was really annoying to other people. So I would not have been able to handle it. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would not have been. I was lavender brown. Wouldn't have been able to handle it. I wouldn't have been good at that. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much we want to delve into the seventh book. I feel like we need to talk about the Horcruxes and the Hallows, but we've been talking for such a long time. I know. This is turning into a really long episode. So maybe we should cut it here. Okay. And we were discussing and maybe on Discord or something, let Megan and I know. We were talking about maybe doing a live episode. Yeah. If that's something our listeners would be interested in. Live stream on YouTube. I'm still like, let's maybe talk about that. Or we can do a final episode. We'll do a three-part Harry Potter episode. The third episode may or may not be as long as this one. (laughs) Because this one was really long. (laughs) I don't know why I thought it was a good idea to do three these three books in one episode. I went along with it. (laughs) But so we can either do a live episode, finish talking about book seven. We can talk about whatever the listeners want to talk about. Or we can just get together randomly on a night that of our choosing and just not tell anyone and talk about book seven till our heart's content. So So until we die in my case, (laughs) we're going to be here for hours and hours and hours talking about this. But so we're going to end it here. We've kind of talked, we've touched on book seven. I think we've done a fairly good, like jumping between book five and book six Mm -hmm. and kind of discussing all of the important things that happened in that. I think so. I mean, we still have a lot of deaths we haven't covered. Yeah. I a lot of people die in book 7. A lot of the like oh. a lot of I'm going to rephrase this. A lot of characters die in book 7. I'm not going to say people, but a lot of characters. They feel like people. So, a lot of characters die in book 7 that we haven't touched on that I feel like we should. No, well, and we learned a lot more about Harry's past and Harry's family so. and Snape. So let's I, we do, kind of touch on let, let's, we'll, we'll delve into book seven in another episode, whether we do a live episode with all of our, whoever wants to join us, or if it's just the two of us again, we'll, we'll do one more. Yeah. You're, one more. Let us know on Discord what you think, um, what you would like us to do. If you want to be a part of that, conver- like an active part of the conversation, or if you just, you know, say, hey, here are some questions that I have. Go at it. Yeah. Your vote matters. We may decide what we want to do anyway, but your vote matters. <laughs> we do actually want to know because that could be really fun doing a live stream. Yeah, it should. It would be. And it's just me and Megan and we're always so much fun. <laughs> so anyway, so thank you so much for listening to us. Thank you for joining our conversation. We hope that you are enjoying listening to Megan and I talk about Harry Potter because I know we are enjoying talking about it. So much. Um, you can join our conversation if you have anything that you want to say to us. Um, make sure to tag us on the conversation on Discord. I Yeah, I am Evil Alien Princess Megan. And I am Teffers. That's a, I, I should have picked a smaller name. But I like it. <laughs> um, so you can tag us on Discord. You can please support the podcast on Patreon. And enjoy listening to us wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And we will... Talk to you later. Bye.